Let's pray one more time. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Wash us again in it this morning by your Holy Spirit. I pray in Jesus' name. All right, John 13, uh, first of five chapters known as the Upper Room Discourse. Arguably, chapter 17, you know, is is or is not, depending on who the, whose commentary you're looking at and outlines. Uh, I'd like to include it as part of the whole Upper Room Discourse and in my thinking, because, um, again, the, what the Lord is doing here is he's spending four chapters as the prophet of God, right? Telling his disciples truth from the Father, right? So he's he's disclosing to them what's about to happen in the hours, days, and even years ahead. Okay, now prophecy is not necessarily synonymous with future telling, right? A lot of times we think, okay, well, a guy's a prophet, in other words, he tells the future, right? That's that's sort of I think typical understanding. Prophecy really is just is just proclaiming truth from God. Uh, I like to say I like to think of it this way: the prophet stands with his back to God and his face to the people to, to represent God's truth to the people. And that's the first uh, uh, chapters thirteen through sixteen. Chapter seventeen then is is where the Lord, as it were, takes off the prophet hat puts on the priest hat, turns his back, as it were, to the people, and now and his face to God and represents his disciples, not just them, but us as well, uh, to the Father, right? And that's commonly called, chapter 17 is commonly called the high priestly prayer. High priestly prayer. The king shows up in the next chapter. Kind of interesting, right? So we have the prophet, the priest, and the king. He goes on trial for claiming to be king, ostensibly. And when we get there, it's it's, it's really interesting political jockeying and back and forth because Pilate really doesn't buy that, you know. But he's got he can't just ignore it either. It's very interesting. But but in the midst of all of that, we see his these significant roles in these chapters. Okay, so we've been looking at at. Uh, working our way through chapter 13, we've been through the uh, foot washing, right? And when we compare this, remember a few notes back, I, I, I put in there my best um, attempt at a timeline for all the things that are happening in the upper room with all the Gospels combined. So John gives us way, way more of what actually happened and what Jesus said in the upper room. And the other the other uh, gospels, right? Synoptic gospels. Luke comes in second in terms of the amount of material. And Matthew and Mark are very very sparse with how much time they dwell in the room. But Luke is the one that tells us that they were having this argument as they came in, right? So so we know the triumphal entry, and we know that that um, you know there was this large group of Jewish witnesses of of well-connected jewish witnesses who had seen the resurrection of lazarus right and john had, had has told us uh that they were still a couple of months later still very excited about that and so as many many god-fearing jews are streaming into jerusalem more and more they're hearing this story about how jesus raised lazarus from the dead and not just from you know 
blue collar, wishful thinking fishermen from Galilee, but well connected people in Jerusalem who were there to see it. And uh, um, and so the disciples, you know, see that and they they see um, uh, the excitement of the crowd or many in the crowd as Jesus rides into Jerusalem. And there are several days of, you know, he cleanses the temple, several days of him teaching and all of that. They enter this upper room, the disciples do, thinking that the, that the kingdom is imminent. Okay, you got to keep this in mind. Because what we're looking at, the text, particularly verse 33, which is where we are now, Jesus, when he says that to them, it really shocks them. Okay, and that is right on the heels of Jesus becoming very emotionally distraught and, and announcing to them that one of them is going to betray him, right? And so they, they have these series of very shocking things that happen. Well, in the midst of all of that, too, Jesus has to rebuke their pride because Luke tells us they come in to the, to the upper room full of themselves, right? And arguing about who is going to be Right. The greatest in the kingdom, right? Which, which was chopped around the corner, right? It's just on the horizon there. Maybe after Passover, he'll finally come in formally and take the throne. And we're, we're going to, you know, they're jockeying for position. And the Lord has to tell them, uh, has to rebuke them. And he, he summarizes the whole thing by saying, yet I'm among you as one who serves. And I believe it's right after that or shortly after that, that he gets up. And John picks up at that point and tells us that he washes their feet, right? And he says, if I, your, your Lord and, and teacher, do this, how much, what's the argument from typical rabbinic argument, right? From the greater to the lesser. If I do this, you ought to do this for each other, right? And love one another. And we see that command here in our text as well. So this is something that he's going to, as the prophet now, He's going to continue to hammer home with them over these four chapters is how important it is that in his absence that they pick up this kind of love that he has demonstrated to them themselves, put that on, right? We're talking in Colossians, same thing. Peter picks that up as well. Clothe yourselves in humility, right? It's, it's, it's put this kind of love on like you have seen me do. Pick up the, the cloak and, and, and do the same thing for each other in my stead. That's still true today. Still true today. That same call is for, and it, just by way of application, you know, it's it, whenever you get into the text like this, it's, it's good to learn, but you, you can't come into the presence of God without being convicted yourself. And it's reminded me of that very fact. You know, we we see each other a lot. You know, uh, Sundays, Wednesdays, other times, you know, when we have get-togethers, and, and sometimes you can kind of bump and grind, and, and we've all had our, our moments, right? And if you haven't had any yet, stick around, because there will be some, right? We'll have some, some moments together, right, where we like rocks, you know, in, in a sack, kind of rub against each other, right. friction and knocking off, hopefully some corners, right? But anyway, um, as as we, um, I forget what I was going with that. <laughs> we wrapped up. Um, oh yes, as we as we bump and grind against each other, you know, and 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 
remember you are the Lord to his people, right? And they to you. We we are, as it were, filling in for him in many respects. Now we we often apply that to our uh, to to our witness in the world, right? Sometimes you hear the songs written, and you hear people say, preachers talk about, "You are the hands and feet of Jesus to people," right? And and there that's true, but it's especially true. And and in these chapters, he applies it to his disciples, or one another. I am God's child, and so are you. How are you treating me? the other believers? And this really bothers me when I see people who claim to be Christians, but I don't go to church anywhere. And I'm thinking, how can you obey the command that he clearly gives here to love his people, and yet you're never around them? Good question, then. John, the author of this gospel, in his first epistle will say, if a man claims to love God and yet what? Hates his brother, he is a liar. You say, well, I don't hate them. I just don't associate with them. What's the difference? What it means. That's what it means. How can you wash each other's feet, not necessarily physically? I mean, the Lord wasn't saying you've got to wash each other's feet and that's the full extent of this command. No. That, that, that command of humiliation of him taking off his robe as Lord and putting on the, the garment, the towel of a servant, a slave, the lowest one in the household to do that dirty remedial task, which is equivalent to us cleaning toilets, okay, is if, if, if he's doing that, he's setting an example for what we are to do, that, that there's no limit to the humility that we need to go to in serving one another. But you can't do that if you aren't with one another. Okay, and and so and uh, it's it's a hard part hard point to argue for people who well I just can't find the right church. Well, do the best you can and get involved and, and let the Lord work for you. Right? Be somewhere. <laughs> There's not going to be a perfect church. There's not going to be a perfect church. <laughs> people all, all the time I hear people say, "Well, I got this against this church or this against that," and no one will find a church that agrees on. Everything 100%. Yeah. That's right. You gotta look, look to see where you get the balance. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Amen. Okay. So, all of that background, let's uh, pick up because it's been a couple of weeks, right? Thank you for bearing with me not being here. I'm sorry I missed you guys last Sunday, 50. Um, but anyway, uh, so it's been a couple of weeks. So let's pick up with the last two paragraphs in our notes. And then we'll get into our outline. Um, what we're talking about here is the way of the cross. What the Lord Jesus is talking about is the way of the cross. What he's, it's, and this is not a new concept, right? We've seen this already. We saw this back in chapter 12, particularly uh, verses uh, 24 through um at uh, 24 25, where he talks about the seed that falls to the ground, and unless it dies, it doesn't bear fruit, right? It's the same idea here uh, the way of the cross from humiliation to exaltation. In this section, Jesus gives them an overview of all that he is eager to tell them in the coming chapters. The purpose of this discourse is to disclose 
what is about to happen along with the assurance that it is all part of God's plan, which he instituted from the beginning. Okay, and we'll see that in chapter 15 and 16. He's going to say, I'm telling you this in advance so that you remember when it happens. I've told you, right? Um, again, why is that important? Because he doesn't look like the Messiah they were raised to expect. That's very, very, very important for we. We forget that, you know, we have 2,000 years of church history. We see it on the other side of the cross. We're Gentiles. We weren't raised in that environment, you know. Uh, but we forget that they weren't raised to think of, and he has to work hard to unwind that. And part of that is, is um, to help them overcome those days of doubt while Christ is laying in the tomb dead. Uh, that To remember, oh, that's right, he did predict the future. He did tell us what was going to happen. And he quoted scripture too. So he tells us what's going to happen, quotes the scripture to let us know that God is, is in charge. This is part of his plan. This isn't uh, God. Jesus is not overcome by circumstances. All right, let's continue. He first starts with the glory of the cross in which the son of man and God the father will both be lifted up for the world to see. We've already uh, seen those verses before, right? Remember the conversation with Nicodemus? Moses uh, lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so there's no man be lifted up. Um, he moves next to the to his ascension that would follow his crucifixion and resurrection. It's here that they start to fall apart emotionally. Uh, that's verse 33, by the way. Okay. And he has to comfort them with assurances to not let their hearts be troubled. You know, we're, we're very familiar with fact, Dad, when he is um, comforting somebody in the hospital or loved ones who said somebody died, very often we'll go to John 14 where it says, first verse, right? Right at the top of the chapter. Let not your hearts be troubled. And he, he actually says that twice, once at the beginning of the chapter and near the end. Well, why does he say that? Well, it's because they're troubled. Why are they troubled? Because what they thought was going to happen is the exact, almost exact opposite. It's like it's like the very worst thing that they can think of, and then some more is going to actually happen. Right? So it's very, very important that he get them out of that mindset they were in and into the proper mindset. And part of that is, by the way, the humbling process of the rebuke to them to, for their pride, and then the foot washing, uh, and then and now he's he's but he's going to give them a mix of great assurances, right? That that this isn't the end. It's going to look like the end, but it's not. It's the way of the cross. The way up is down. Okay, Christ is on his way down in humiliation, but God is going to be glorified in a way that He never is any other way. Uh, at the, what the, seems to be the lowest point, right? So then, but then after that is the ascension. He's going to leave them. It's here they fall apart, right? Now, finally, um, last sentence here in that paragraph. Finally, he comes back to the command to love each other in the power of the Holy Spirit, which would be the mortar that holds the church together as it is built in the time ahead. And there are several examples here of how important that is, particularly in his High priestly prayer, he's he's really, really focused on unity. I right? Father, pray that they may be one, even as we are one. 
Why is that so important? Well, because that that is uh, what he's going to say here is is uh, verse thirty five. By this, we'll all know that you're my disciples. Give love for one another. There's no better way that the church glorifies God in the eyes of the watching world than when we get along. People who shouldn't get along get along and love one another with this kind of love. That's a powerful way. That's why I think Satan works so hard to attack unity in the church. Sowing seeds, uh, sowing um, apostates, and we talk about apostasy, right? Apostasy is not just, you know, leaving the church, but the, the, the most dangerous apostasy is those who have left the faith are still in the church, right? They, they, why? Because they are, are, are probably, I don't want to say the most effective, but man, right at the top of the list of Satan's most effective ways of destroying unity in church, right? And you've got a bunch of unsaved people who act like unsaved people, but they, they wear Jesus shirts and hats and, you know? You know, they, um, I know somebody. But you know that love that we show and that unity in the church will either drive an individual toward the cross or away from the cross. I've seen that. You know, the, the love that we show to each other and to God. Just in our actions, we're either driving toward the cross or depends on which way they need to go. Wow. That's a good point. We we tend to think of the unity as being an attractive thing, but it can also be something that Paul, Paul, yes. Paul says in 2 Corinthians that we are the fragrance of Christ, right? 2 Corinthians 2, for the fragrance of Christ. And, and to some, uh, it's the fragrance of life to life, but others, it's the fragrance of death. It's a great point there. Yeah, and you know what? Um, not to pick on big churches. Not all big churches are bad. Maybe it's not like that. That's why. But one of the advantages of a small, really small uh, micro church like we have here is um, we're in your business whether you like it or not. <laughs> right? And, and, and we really are family, you know? And, and we're not in your business in a bad way. So I can gossip. Let me tell you about Larry. Uh, all, all in prayer, of course, right? So you can pray for him. Yeah. Uh, no, we, we, hopefully that's not the case. We love each other, and, and part of that's just knowing. You know, that's that's one of the reasons why um, we take the time in the service uh, to to take prayer requests. This morning we're not going to do that because of time, okay? But we not, I normally like to do that because, you know, James says to to cry with those. Who cry and laugh at those who laugh. And, and if there's something, words really does something, I just can't wait. Praise the Lord, I got a praise this morning. Let me share that, right? Or I come in and, and my heart is heavy, and I know everybody's gung ho for Jesus. And then this morning, I'm really struggling, and, and I'm putting up one last prayer, hoping that it does something. You know what I'm saying? Uh, so we need to identify with each other, lay aside with whatever you're going through, and, and, and you can't sometimes you can't do that in a large church and i think that's to your point larry i think it's one of the reasons why um people can will flock to that you kind of come it's like movie theater you don't necessarily interact with people around you you kind of see the thing you do the thing go home check the box you know go to the buffet feel good um and and never really get below 
uh, a surface level. But that's not what we're called to do. Right? We're, we're called to love each other and serve each other. And sometimes that means um, putting yourself out and, and identifying with somebody, just being there to listen when they're hurting, right? Or to to share with them. God will put you through a hard time so that you're equipped to help somebody else to go into a similar thing. Just like we have a high priest who's able to what? Sympathize with us. He's been there. I know what it's like to be rejected by your family. He can say that to us. I know what it's like to be rejected by your came to his own people. His own he knows what that's like. All right. Back to our paragraph, the last paragraph. Perhaps the best way to summarize all that Jesus will unfold in these chapters is to understand it as the way of the cross, that the way up is down. Just as Jesus was still on his way down to the low point of humiliation on the cross, followed by the exaltation to the right hand of the Father, so also are all who follow him. And remember, back when we first introduced this concept, a few notes back, um, you, you probably hear in there echoes of Paul's second chapter of Philippians, right? He knows this passage where Christ uh, didn't consider quality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. He took on the former servant. You could hear the step down, the step down, the step down in that passage to the point of the cross. And then he's God highly exalted him, giving him the name which is above every name, the name of Jesus, every name, right? That whole passage. You can hear that way of the cross so beautifully. And I, I don't think it, it seems to be too that that uh, perhaps that was a either a creed or a, a, a hymn, perhaps that the early church sang. It, it's it's got a lot of uh, poetry to it. Anyway, Paul makes that very clear in Philippians two. This the cross is emblematic of the ability of God to make a way where there seems to be no way, to turn darkness into light, to turn mourning into joy, to transform confusion into peace, to turn humiliation into exaltation. That's where God is glorified. We're going to see that here. The first couple of verses, first one in our outline. Now is the Son of Man glorified. Father, Father will be glorified. Father will be glorified. Father will glorify the Son of Man will glorify him. And the Father will glorify him. There's five times in those two verses that word glory appears in some form. Five times. How does the cross, that low point of humiliation, where God goes to die a bloody scandalous death how does that glorify him he turns that apparent defeat into the greatest victory ever right by winning people back to himself from what satan thought was an impossible situation <laughs> you created this 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 race in your image they fell they followed me i'm the god of this world right nothing you can do battle <laughs> oh yeah all right, we'll see about that. Right? Well, the the uh, the way of suffering when when the Lord tells us to deny ourselves and to follow Him, uh, then that He He rewards us for that. It's like Abraham when Abraham sacrificed his son. God said, "I'm impressed with that, and I promise you this, 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 and this because of that." And, and so when we talk about a sacrifice, in the long run, it's really not a sacrifice. Because the blessings that, that 
that war did this was so much greater than any kind of self-denial or whatever that we read into. Kind of reminds me of what Paul says, right? That the eternal weight of glory is not worthy of being compared to the light momentary temptations, trials, difficulties, dark times. We're going to now. That's right. All true believers should expect to walk this road. And uh, if you have one of the older set of notes there, I, as I was reviewing, reviewing this, I realized that, that I, I put the wrong word in it. Okay, so that last sentence should read, uh, as the loving father disciplines, not disciples, disciplines them that they may share in his holiness. Okay. If you have a new set of notes, this if you got this morning, it's already there. <laughs> Some advantages to putting it on. Um, and of course, you're familiar with Hebrews, and the Hebrews text there, chapter two, it says that even even the Son underwent discipline, even Jesus underwent uh, pain to to perfect him. What what does that mean? It doesn't mean that he wasn't. Perfect in the sense of, of already sinless. And what it means is to complete him. It, it means to mature him in his role as high priest. The author explains later by saying that we don't, that we, as I said earlier, we have this high priest who went through what you're going through, right? And not only that, but and we're going to see this when we get to the verses about his ascension, uh, that he didn't like just, okay, well, I'm, I, oh boy, I'm glad. I'm glad this cross and me putting up with those disciples is over. I'm going back to heaven. See y'all when you get here. Okay? No. No. Jesus, listen. And this is one of the things that's been such an encouragement to me as I really begin to understand this. As our high priest in heaven, even though he is there, he identifies with every single believer and the pain that you are going through. He tastes the salt in your tears. Every drop of pain that you go through, he tastes it as well. Every step, every inch of that dark valley, whatever it is that you're going through, he is leading you through that. He's not the shepherd who's driving you from behind. He's the shepherd walking through the He what leads me. When I, Psalm 23, when, yes, when I walk through a valley of shadow of death, I will not fear for what? He with he's with you all the like way he leads through that he's not only does he know it and he's ordained it he knows it in advance that's what the writer of hebrews is getting to and he says that we have this race what marked out for you it's already there the course is laid out the way you're going to go uh, the ups and downs but the way of the cross means you recognize that as a believer your your path in this life is generally going to be, to the outward view anyway, less than successful, right? doesn't mean that you, you know, you need to fail in business or academics or whatever, you know, I'm just with the failure of the I'm failure for Jesus. No, but what it means is, is that you, you shouldn't expect this life to be, you know, the time when you're done with all of the pain and suffering and 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 uh, humiliation and being misunderstood uh, by people who just who don't follow Christ, right? 
But in fact, you can expect the opposite. If you're going to be a witness, he's going to tell them at the end of this, um, uh, in chapter 16, right, Grant? He says, in this world, you will have what? Tribulation. But do not fear. I will come to So follow him. The way up is down. The way of the cross that, that not only Jesus was going to go through, but his disciples and us as well means self-sacrifice, laying yourself, dying to yourself, and following him and being willing to go to that place of humiliation so that God can be glorified and in due time exalt you too. See that? All right. I love that that at Eastern time we sing uh, Christ the Lord is risen today, right? One of the verses says, uh, made like him, like him we rise. Ours the what? cross, grave, then the skies. That's the way of the cross. All right, so how do we make sense? I hope this is clear here. What I'm trying to say in those paragraphs is that these verses, which are verses 31 through 35, and we're in our outline now, okay? So point number one, um, 31 through 35, what Jesus is doing here is he is setting them up for, the, he's explaining the an overview of the timeline, right? So in the, in the coming chapters, he's going to unpack all of this. He's going to fill in a lot of details. But these verses here give, you might say, we would call it today an executive summary of what's about to happen. Okay? It's a summary of what's about to happen. And you can see that's what we're trying to say. So our outline follows that here. Uh, point number one is God the Father and God the Son, uh, maybe I should have said, are about to be glorified, uh, will be glorified through the cross imminently. He says now, right now. Now the hour has come, right? What hour? It's not literally an hour. It means the point in time in which God is going to be glorified at the highest point ever by what seems like the lowest point, right? Second thing after that is after his resurrection comes his departure from this world. And that's the second point there. Jesus will be departing this world after the cross. And then thirdly, after that, the time again, the timeline, right? So we've got the cross, then we got the ascension, and then we have this long period of time, which is kind of indefinite there, in which we love one another in his place. Right? Even as he builds his church, love is that border which holds us together. So let's get into our text here. Um, John 13, 31 and 32. When he had gone out, Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. All right, class. What's the key word here? Glorify. Glory. Glory, glory glorify. Some, some variation of glory, right? As I mentioned to you five times. All right. Um, you guys are educated enough. What does repetition in scripture, in fact, ancient literature in general, but scripture often mean emphasis or 
make sure you get the point. Emphasis, right? Yeah, make sure you really get the point. When the Lord is is uh, when He says your name twice, it's not good. It's kind of like when your mother throws in your middle name when she's calling you out, right? <laughs> oh, okay. Got my attention. Here it's repeated five times. Wow. I don't see cross in there though. But the key word is the word now, right? By the way, when it says here he had gone out, that was referring to Judas, right? The verse right before verses right before that. Judas is dismissed because none of this is for him. Uh, when I was originally working my way through the the uh, uh trying to construct the timeline of the upper room. There was a period of time there where I thought well, maybe I thought Judas might have been dismissed before um, the, the Lord transforms the Passover into um, the, the, the Lord's today called the Lord's table or communion. But that's that's not the case. But here Judas is dismissed before he begins to open up to them what real plan of God is. That's an operation, Right. And so now. Is the Son of Man glorified? Um, back in chapter, flip back for a second to chapter uh, 12. It's not like he hasn't been saying this kind of thing already, okay? Chapter 12, verses 30 through 36, kind of uh, pick up on the same idea. It says, uh, Jesus answered this voice. Remember, this is the third time now that the Father spoke audibly from heaven, right? First was at the baptism, then at the uh, Mount of Transfiguration, and now here, just as Jesus is about to go to the cross. Uh, his voice has come, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this, notice the word now, right? Now, 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 okay? Now is the judgment of this world. Now the rulers will be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. The, the, the lifted up there is a euphemism for crucifixion. Okay? It's another way of saying uh, crucifixion. The other euphemism for crucifixion in John is in John 21, where it says that when Jesus predicts, Peter, when you're older, you're going to stretch your arms out. Like the same thing. Um, so lifted up from the earth. And, and he said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die, right? Um, that's John whispering to us. So the crowd answered him, we have heard from the law, in other words, from the Bible, okay, that the Christ remains forever. I say the Son of Man will be lifted up. Who is the Son of Man? See, they, they know that he he's the Christ, you know, or claiming to be the Christ anyway. And, and this crowd is still, they're confused, just like the disciples. Well, wait a minute, we were told this, but you're saying this. You know, what's this cross thing? What, what's this humiliation of death? You're supposed to be exalted. You're supposed to go to the throne and take over the world. What are you talking about a cross for? So Jesus said to them, Light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light. Let darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the light does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. Uh, and then he uh, went and hid himself. He's warning them. He doesn't really even answer the question because he has been, 
to the general crowd, he's been using parables. There's a certain point in his ministry, the other gospels, John doesn't talk anything about parables, but the other gospels make it clear, particularly Matthew, uh, he starts speaking them in parables, and the disciples pull him aside. He says, Why are you doing that? He says, So in fulfillment of scripture, that hearing they may not hear, but seeing they may not see. Right? Um, so he's telling them the truth, but he's doing it in a veiled way. Is that what we're supposed to do too when we're talking to unsaved people? Not necessarily. I mean, if we told them they're all going to hell unless there's, they repent, they're probably not going to be too enticed by that. I'm just, I'm just throwing it out. It's not up to you to entice people, it's up to the Holy Spirit. Well, I know. Tell but, the truth. Uh, there's somebody there's a right way and a wrong way to do that. Yeah, I think I, I think you don't have to you don't have to get on a bullhorn and yell in their ear uh, about how awful and even wicked necessarily they are. You can tell them in a loving way, but you still tell the truth. Yeah, because you you going to turn them away from that so you have to go to work. And the second important with the parables as Jesus that he's building up the comments. So now I'm gonna speak parables. That's right. That's what one of the the prophecy which was fulfilled. Right. I forgot the, the, which prophet the Old Testament told them. I thought it was that was a prophecy. Right. I mean, I'm just trying to figure out how we can learn from how Jesus did things here. I think you have to be careful because Jesus doesn't necessarily put that out there as a model for evangelism. Like Nick said, what, what he's doing specifically is actually a sign of judgment on the nation itself. In fact, so also, by the way, here's, you don't hear this a lot. There's debate about tongues and everything, but tongues itself is also a fulfillment of an Old Testament prophecy, which says, I'm going to speak to this people in an unknown language. And, and it's, that's another mark of judgment. Uh, we, it doesn't mean that we go around and, and speak, you know, witness to people in tongues, you know. Um, <clears throat> no, we, we're to make it clear uh, what God's word says and just let the conviction uh, the spirit of working conviction, but for the, for them in this time, it was a specific way. Um, does that help? No. <laughs> Jesus is speaking to the nation in 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 fulfillment of Old Testament scripture because they're turning their back on Him as their Messiah. That is not typical of the person you're going to run to on the street. Okay, so you speak the truth of God to them directly as clearly as you know how and, and don't say it in a mean way in spite way how are you going to hell no you speak the truth to them in love you know yes if you can if you can cultivate a relationship with somebody love them and and, and earn the right to be heard but we still speak the truth and let them choose i mean look at look at the language of the, the rest of the new testament it's very clear it's not you know paul and Hebrews and they, they use metaphors, but they use metaphors to further enhance the point. They don't use parables to disguise the point, was what Jesus was doing. Okay? Uh, so I, I think uh, we, it's to be clear. In fact, Jesus is going to say to them, The time is coming when I'm going to speak plainly to you. And the disciples are like, Yes, now we believe in you. Yeah. Uh, that's right at the end of chapter 16. So. Because it's not given to the rest of the crowd to really fully understand. But the point is that the crowd is confused by this reference to the cross. But what Jesus is saying there in chapter 12 in those verses uh, is that God is glorified even as the ruler of this world is going to be kicked out, right? 
and 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 we we often think of the cross as the place where God judged our sins in Christ. And that's right, we should. But we forget that it's also the place where God judged that evil system. So when you hear the word world, especially in these chapters that we're making our way through now, you need to think not just my world and I'm used to, but their world that they are in when they're hearing that. That evil system, that the ruler of this world, okay? In other words, remember chapter 8, he said, you are sons of the devil, okay? You're following after the devil. This is the devil system. You think God is running the show. The man behind the curtain is really the devil. And, and that system was judged on the cross because they put their Messiah mm. on the cross. And when they should have recognized him, the, the ones who should have been leading the way to welcome him were the ones who were screaming, crucify him. That is the ultimate um, evidence, you might say, of who is really behind that system. So, and so God is glorified in, in, in many respects. He's glorified in our lives when we, when we see uh, uh, our need for the Savior and his substitutionary death for us, right? Uh, John the Baptist, beginning, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, doesn't just cover it, but he's the Lamb. He's the only Lamb, right? The other Lamb's just covered it. But here's the Lamb of God who what? Takes away sin, right? But God is also glorified in that he was gonna, He judges that system. And also, by extension, this is the same one who will judge all the rest of the systems as well. All the world will be judged by him. That making sense? All right, back to our verses here. Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Interesting choice of the Son of Man there. Uh, what, what do you make of that? Why he said son of man instead of son of God? That's he could have put anything in there. He could have said me, right? He could have been made personal. He could have said son of God. He could have said the Messiah, the Christ. Now is the Christ glorified? Why son of man? He He's identifying with us, right? That's true. Most frequently used the term self. self. The term is described himself or the other term is Lamb, which means that he was a God who took on flesh and taken up to man. So he is one of said man as well as one of said God. It puts the emphasis, you're right. He puts the emphasis by that title, he's putting the emphasis on his incarnation. Okay. As God entering into the human race. And by the way, that's a permanent change. He is, I, I prefer the uh, uh, interpretation of John 3 16 to be uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his unique his uniquely begotten son of God because he's unique he's unique in the human race he's fully human but he's the only one who's God but he's also unique in the Godhead father and son are members of our race but he is 
he is the one Marty used to be taken by that and talk about that all the time. That image from Job, right? He's Job says, I need a mediator who can put his hand on God's shoulder and his hand on my shoulder to stand between us, right? And that's Jesus. He's both. And so, yes, the Son of Man, mankind, we can experience God. If he said Son of God, God doesn't die, right? But here the Son of Man is going to die. It's not fakery, trickery. This is legit death, okay? He's the Son of Man. Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. When Jesus is lifted up on the cross, God the Father is also glorified and lifted up in that as well because God the Father sent him on that mission and God the Father's love for, for his children uh, is seen in that right as Paul picks up on that in Romans 5 wait, but God demonstrates his own kind of love in that while we were still sinners God's love is seen nowhere more clearly than in the cross I think is one of the clearest displays of being completely human is the fact that his brothers didn't believe in him until after his presence. Because if he'd have been, you know, if he'd had his little sparkle jumping on his hands or whatever, it would have been different. He had a halo with all right. right. That's right. That face loaded and he got up and walked something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. He was very, very, very human. If, it probably should be translated, this is verse 32 now. Um, when or since God is glorified in him, um, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Do you hear the mutual glory of each other in that it's like, I'm going to glorify you. No, I'm going to glorify you. I'm going to glorify you. Glorify me. I'm going to glorify you. You know, it's it's. you almost hear this building. Um, I had a friend ask me, uh, she's apostatized and gone away from the faith and all of that. She's an atheist now. But she asked me this one time, and we grew up and went to the same church together. And uh, what are you guys? She asked me one time, uh, what what is it with God that He needs to be glorified? That He needs to have this affirmation? He needs us to come and glorify Him and everything, right? And uh, and I didn't really have a good answer for her then, but now I realize that it's not that God is just greedy for glory going out there. And even in the Godhead, the Father is focused on the Son, glorifying Him, and the Son is not you know it's like yeah that's right Father you come and you do what I no it's Him. Focused on putting the glory on God the Father, and He's willing even to go to the. You say Jesus went to the cross because He loves me. Yes, but Jesus went to the cross primarily because He loves the Father and shows that He showed that in His obedience by going to the Father, and He glorifies the Father in that. Okay, and uh, and so the answer to this is that God is not asking for anything He doesn't deserve. He deserves that, right? And he has gone to great, great lengths to prove that point. And when you don't give him that glory, the problem is with you, not with him. But I love that even in the Godhead itself, we see the love, the inner Trinitarian love, how they love and glorify one another. There isn't any sense of Jesus saying, 
Yeah, that's right. I, I went to his lowest point so I could give all this, you know, name of the No, no, no. He he lets the father do that if the father's goodwill to glorify him at that level. He's just a beaver. Kind of like us, right? We never seek our like glory to do it. Yeah. No, it's he's he's always the perfect example for us. Amen. All right. Um we're done. Believe it or not. You can keep going because that's the first point of my sermon. Yeah. You, you got, now you got 10 more minutes. That's my first we'll borrow 10 minutes. Yeah, you'll see if I'm not kidding. So you can, yeah. Amen. Well, good. I almost wore my pink shirt. I should have. What's that? I almost wore my pink shirt. Well, I was just telling her how handsome you look at your tie. I can clean up. <laughs> What's the screen up there? Is that y'all? Are you doing a Facebook? Uh, we we yeah. Zoom. It's Zoom. Wow. If somebody next time will you got the question. Are you? What's your goal in your life? Are you planning to succeed in your life in your career? Yes, I want to be succeed. So, well, if you want to succeed and go for a world, why why God can't be going for it? That's the question. We're all, as you said, we're all trying to succeed in our job, in our life, in our everyday uh, the things. If we want to do that, why God can't? Yeah. Ask the same question. That's right. Ross question says, yeah, but do you want to succeed? Yes. So the guy wants to do it too. But it's easy. That's right. What, what we don't like is somebody else getting the glory we think we deserve. Exactly. That's, that's <laughs> yeah. 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 We don't want to give any glory. No. That's right. Glory goes to God. That's right. Amen. All right, let's uh, close in prayer. Uh, Father, just uh, thank you again for this gospel, for this amazing truth from your word. We can't get enough of it. Um, it's just amazing. Every time we see, um, we peek under the covers, as it were, we get glimpses of, of your glory and, and the great, great depth and lengths and breadth that you went through, uh, not just to redeem us, but to show off, as it were, your heart of love and grace and the mercy that you pour out on undeserving sinners. When we really see that, we just can't help but bring you glory and to worship you, um, ascribe the worth that you that you deserve. And so I pray, Father, to that end, that you would glorify yourself today in our eyes here uh, as our brother Bruce comes, and as we open uh, the word later on this afternoon, Mark, again, and then help us to be those witnesses, uh, just really a, a lampstand that shines your glory this coming week as well. Help us not to, help us to be less about our glory and more about yours. I pray this in Jesus' name.